funny how perspectives change, isn't it? I look around this morning and think, gosh, the place is quite thin. So I was very naughty. Whilst Nancy was doing the notices, I had a quick count-up, and I was thinking, if I'd been in my old church five years and a week ago, I'd have been thrilled to see this many people because I'd have thought the place was packed out. It's all, all, about, it's all relative. But it doesn't matter whether there's lots of us or just a few of us. What matters is that we are here together to worship God and to listen for what God might want to say to us in scripture, in song, and in prayer. Our opening uh, call to worship, our opening words of praise come from Psalm 122. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, O Jerusalem. And we have indeed come to the house of the Lord to share in worship and praise. And so our opening hymn this morning is number 491 in the hymn book. And this is a hymn that looks back in time and then brings us to the the present day. We thank you for the memories that fill our minds today, for the church that once received us and kept us in your way. Please stand if you're able as we sing together.
We're going to come now to God in prayer. And as is our custom here at Hillhead, after I have guided us through a short prayer of adoration and confession, we will join together in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And we invite everybody to do that in their own first language and in whatever format you are accustomed to. We always wind up saying amen at the same point, so somehow the Holy Spirit works in all of it in the versions and the languages. So let's pray together. Loving God, as we gather today, we do so with a sense of gratitude for this opportunity to spend time intentionally seeking your presence. After another busy week, faced by competing demands on our time and energy, it is good, if only for a few moments, to sit down and be still, to become aware of our very being and to rest safe in your acceptance. As we become more still, we tune in to how we're feeling. Perhaps we are weary emotionally, physically or spiritually. Perhaps we're anxious about family or friends, about work or its absence. Perhaps we're excited about new opportunities, adventures or experiences. Perhaps we're numb, not sure that we feel anything anymore. However we feel, we offer that to you now. Accepted by you, just as we are, emboldens us to admit our faults and failings. The words we spoke in haste and cannot take back, or which we failed to speak and now the moment has passed. the person we treated in a way we now regret or failed to treat in a way that is now not possible. The opportunity we missed to show love or the lack of love we demonstrated instead. Whatever we have done or failed to do that makes us sad, we offer that to you now. Forgiven by you, we are able to relax, if only a little. To dare to believe that we are free from whatever holds us back in discipleship and faith. To attempt again to live lives that better express our commitment to following Jesus. And to pray again for the incoming of your kingdom of justice and peace, as we say together, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.
some days you spend ages, or some weeks, you spend ages planning uh, for what the all-age slot's going to be, and then you realise it isn't going to work because most of the people you hoped would be here aren't here. But that's fine. It keeps me on my toes. I'll start with a picture of... Who's this? Anybody tell me who the picture is of... Anybody know who that picture is? Winnie the Pooh. Well done, Bonnie. Winnie the Pooh is one of my favourite characters. And when I was a little girl, I used to have Winnie the Pooh books. And one year, as a prize from Sunday school, I got Winnie the Pooh and a book of poems called Now We Are Six. That kind of amused me because I was seven when I was given Now We Are Six. But there you go. Now We Are Six, a poem. When I was one, I had just begun. When I was two, I was nearly new. When I was three, I was hardly me. When I was four, I was not much more. When I was five, I was just alive. But now I'm six. I'm as clever as clever. And I think I'll be six now, forever and ever. Next Sunday, it is exactly six years since I was inducted as a minister here at Hillhead Baptist Church. And for me, that has been an exciting and challenging six years in all sorts of ways. I was wondering a lot of things this week um, about what's been going on in those six years. What have been the highlights? Because we all know there have been disappointments, that's fine. But what have been some of the highlights In 2012, in the picture that's up there, some of us went all the way down to Devon to share in Debbie's baptism. Debbie particularly wished to be baptised in the sea at Lee Abbey in Devon. So we went down and shared in that. And then in 2000 and... Double check my dates, I hate to get them wrong. 2013... We baptised Paul, so there's me and Neil with Paul. Now, Paul's moved on since then, but that's fine. These things are part of the way churches work. Uh, It was a lovely, wonderful opportunity to celebrate with Paul and to rejoice with him, who'd arrived in this church as a very, very frightened asylum seeker and by now was a confident young man going forward to study engineering and came to baptism. And also in that year... um, Next week is the second anniversary of Morag's baptism. Morag and I share a baptism date. Um, I think Anne shares the same date as well. But Nancy and I had the privilege of baptising Morag two years ago. And in the six years I've been here, lots and lots of people have come to the church and some have covenanted with us in membership. Some of those are here today and some of those are not. But the first couple I had the pleasure of receiving into membership was Nancy and Douglas, just, just a few weeks after I arrived. You were actually here before me, but you'd kind of held back to give me the pleasure of that. Uh, a year later, in 2010, Katrina and Margaret Semple came into membership. In 2012, Debbie. In 2013, we had a bumper crop of four people. We had Jeff, Holly, George, Paul, and Morag. So that was five people. I can't even count. I was so excited. Uh, 2014, last year, we had another four, Addie, Moji, Mary, and Lily, 
And this year, we've just had Clifford a couple of weeks ago. Been really exciting. And there are lots of other people who've come and joined us in that time, perhaps not coming into membership, perhaps being here for a season whilst students or while staying in Glasgow to work and then moving on somewhere else. In fact, as I look around, there are lots of people here who weren't here six years ago when our shared story began. I wonder if anybody has got a real specific highlight in that six years that they think, yeah, actually, that for me has been a really special moment and is brave enough to share it. Because I know usually when I ask you, you all go... "Mm." Anybody? Paul? Thank you. Yep. And I just arrived when that happened, hadn't I? So Paul's father's funeral, which was a very special occasion. A sad occasion, but yeah. Thank you, Paul. Anybody else want to share anything? No, it's just been six years or so-so, has it? Okay. Right, I'll just give up and go home. Thank you. Bonnie and Esther's dedication. Yeah, very different, weren't they? But each one very beautiful and very lovely. And both of those within the last 12 months. Really special occasions. One more from anybody? No? Oh, Paul. I thought Ian. Yep. Okay, so more rags baptism again. Thanks, Ian. That's great. So lots of exciting things that we've shared together. And we're still the same church as we were in 2009. But you know what? We're also a very different church. Lots of different people, lots of different things going on. And what is amazing, of course, is in all of this, God travels with us. So we're going to sing a song that we only last sang a couple of weeks ago. Well, one we had for Bonnie, and it's one of my favourites anyway, so just any excuse to sing it, really. Number 356 in the hymn book. One more step along the world I go.
lectionary readings today um, start with the Old Testament reading from Numbers 11 and a selection of verses starting from verse 4. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving, and the people of Israel also wept and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions and the garlic. But now our strength is dried up, and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, each one at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Moses said to the Lord, Why have you dealt ill with your servant? Why have I not found favour in your sight that you lay the burden of all this people on me? Did I conceive all this people? Did I give birth to them that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom, as a nurse carries a suckling child, to the land that you swore to give their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, Give us meat that we may eat. I am not able to carry this people alone. The burden is too heavy for me. If you will treat me like this, kill me at once, if I find favour in your sight, that I may not see my wretchedness. Then the Lord said to Moses, Gather for me seventy of the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and officers over them, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. So Moses went out and told the people the word of the Lord. He gathered seventy men of the elders of the people and placed them round the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him, and took some of the spirit that was on him and put it on the seventy elders. As soon as the spirit rested on them, they prophesied, but they did not continue doing it. Now, two men remained in the camp, one named Eldad and the other Medad, and the spirit rested on them. They were among those registered, but they had not gone out to the tent, so they prophesied in the camp. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. The New Testament reading today is from Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 18. The followers of John the Baptist and the Pharisees often went without eating. Some people came and asked Jesus, Why do the followers of John and those of the Pharisees often go without eating, while your disciples never do? Jesus answered, The friends of a bridegroom don't go without eating while he is still with them, but the time will come when he will be taken from them. Then they will go without eating. No one patches old clothes by sewing on a piece of new cloth. The new piece would shrink and tear a bigger hole. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. The wine would swell and burst the old skins. Then the wine would be lost and the skins would be ruined. New wine must be put into new wineskins.
Sometimes the passages that the lectionary throws up are pretty odd, such as that one from Numbers today. And sometimes preachers find themselves drawn to other equally odd combinations of passages to bring into conversation with each other, which is what I did when I decided to choose the Mark reading rather than the lectionary reading. And I guess the challenge of passages like these is not to slip into a kind of negative, critical thought process, but rather to try to hear the truths they contain and to try and find something hopeful as well as challenge. I went round in quite a lot of circles as I was pondering and reflecting on these readings And it seemed that maybe a helpful way to try to engage with them is to use our imaginations, to try to hear it as a story told by a character from within. So, I hope you'll bear with me uh, with my attempt to tell the Old Testament passage as a story. My name is Miriam not the older sister of Moses, the prophetess, you probably recall very well. No, I'm just one of lots of women called Miriam, who were born and brought up in Egypt, and we now find ourselves tired and irritable and wondering what on earth we've got ourselves into. Let me tell you my story. My parents were Hebrew slaves, as were their parents before them, and my grandparents, and so on. In fact, As long back as anyone could remember, this is the way it had been. We're a proud people, though. We're very confident in our identity. And we hold fast in our faith in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I remember, though, as soon as I was old enough, I was sent away to work gathering straw to make bricks. Tiring, dusty, hard work and dangerous too. And the bricks that we made had to be the finest quality because some of them would find their way into the pyramids that would house the pharaohs and any of their Egyptian slaves unlucky enough to be entombed alive. But my parents told us stories of the past when we were a proud independent nation long before famine drove our forebears to Egypt in search of food. Life was just miserable. The Egyptians even tried to control our numbers by killing any boy babies. I was very grateful to bear daughters, though I did worry what their future might bring. Well, you can imagine it caused a great stir when Moses the baby who boy who had been adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and brought up in the Egyptian court, chose to revert to his Hebrew roots. I've got to be honest, we were very suspicious of him. And, and when news leaked out that he'd murdered an Egyptian, we were really afraid of reprisal, whilst he just fled off to safety in Midian. And then when he came back, he spoke boldly of liberation, of a new land where we would be free, where we could be prosperous and enjoy a good life. Could that possibly be true? I wasn't sure, but I hoped it might be. 
By now, I was carrying another child and feared that this one might, in fact, be a boy. Seemed to take forever. Moses would go off to see Pharaoh and threaten him with divine wrath. And Pharaoh would say, okay, go. And then he'd change his mind. And then some awful plague would smite the Egyptian people. And every time we got our hopes up, they were dashed. But finally, one day, it did happen. I packed up my cooking pot. I wrapped each of my daughters in an extra robe. We bundled our meager possessions together and began the long, slow march to freedom. Finally, we got across the Red Sea, just as the waters closed over those who pursued us. And, yeah, I do feel bad about that. But finally, we were free. And freedom felt so good. But what I hadn't thought about, and in fact, neither had anybody else, was that now we were on our own. We'd never been free. We didn't know how to organize ourselves, and the journey was arduous. The girls grumbled. Um, My baby was born a boy, and I was glad that he was safe. I got no idea what future I might have brought him to. And then the manor. Day after day, we had to get up, go out of the camp, and gather this strange stuff. Don't get me wrong, it was exciting to start with, wondering how to cook it and what it would taste like. But soon, it became a chore. In fact, it was almost like a new kind of slavery. Get up, get a manor, cook, eat, repeat. Some foreigners came and joined our camp for a while. And they spoke of the delicious food they enjoyed back home. And if I'm honest, I started to feel quite envious of them. As I prepared yet another meal of manna, in how many ways can you prepare this stuff? I found myself recalling how easy life had been back in Egypt. As much freshly caught fish as we could wish for. Onions, leeks, and garlic to add flavour to any dish I made. Cucumbers, cool and refreshing on hot days, and sweet, juicy melons. And so it began. We would sit around the fire recalling the good old days, the plentiful food, the familiar meals, a permanent home not having to keep moving on. The harsh regime and the fear had faded away as we succumbed to a kind of rose-tinted nostalgia. And that nostalgia gave way to longing and the longing to grumbling. So much so that Moses became angry with us and with Yahweh, wondering what on earth he had done to bring this on himself, regretting the responsibility that he had taken. Soon after that, we did get some meat. Flocks of quails started to arrive at our camp, and greedily we gorged on them. Roast quail, boiled quail, quail soup, quail and manna. And it was so much quail that actually 
some people started to get sick, very sick. Life continued to be challenging for us. A whole generation would grow up who'd never known what it was to live as slaves in Egypt. Together, we would begin to work out what it meant to live as a free people in a new place. And we would grow old without ever seeing the dreamed-of final destination. Moses glimpsed it just before he died. But it remains just over the horizon, a place still to be reached. I'm an old woman now. I will end my days in this wilderness and I will be buried in an unmarked, unremarkable grave. My daughters have raised families of their own, healthy young men and women with confident hope for their future. And my son, now a man, will carry on the family line, sharing the stories of the good old days and the bad old days with his children and his grandchildren and them with theirs. The story of the emergence of the Hebrew nation after the slaves left Egypt Egypt, surely resonates with anyone or any group of people who've embarked on a journey, literal or metaphorical, to some dreamed-of destination. It is such dreams that inspire people to leave their homes, taking only such scant possessions as they can carry, and undertake perilous journeys across land and sea to places where they hope a a better future awaits. It is such dreams that inspire people who could remain comfortable in the churches they've grown up in to head out into uncharted territory, either church planting or as overseas missionaries. It is such dreams that inspire local churches to attempt new things, to explore new ideas, to engage with new causes. And just like the Hebrews of old, when they do, excitement and novelty inevitably give way to a reality that might not have been anticipated. Perhaps caught unawares by a wave of homesickness or even a rose-tinted recollection of the good old days. The vision dims, and questions, doubt, and disappointment creep in. But the change has been made. A new era has begun, and the clock cannot be turned back. And despite everything there is a remaining conviction that this was the right decision. That leaving home to seek asylum somewhere else was a good thing, despite all the problems. That moving to take on a new job was, after all, the right choice, even though it wasn't quite what we expected. That the upheaval and discomfort of a church in transition into a postmodern, post-Christian age are worthwhile in the long term. That the diet of manna and the relentless pitching and striking of camp 
is a necessary stage on the journey towards a brighter tomorrow. But what about that strange passage from the Gospel of Mark? New wine poured into old wineskins will ruin the skins and waste the wine. New unshrunk cloth stitched onto an old garment may make a temporary repair, but ultimately will ruin both. Is it simply, as it's often heard, that Jesus is saying his new way cannot be incorporated into an old way, that somehow attempting this would destroy both? Or is it perhaps a reminder that we can't go back to those good old days? That as we are changed by our experiences, as new ideas and new understandings inform our thinking, there is a certain inevitability that things we have cherished are no longer able to meet our needs and must be let go. That comfy old jumper that we've all got that's through on the elbows that finally you have to say, well, it was great, but now I need a new jumper. That kind of image. Six years ago, we embarked on a journey together, convinced that this was God's leading. And it hasn't all been plain sailing. I'm not going to pretend it has been. And I'm sure there are many ways I have disappointed you in that time. Just as there have been times when I have felt disappointed. And there will be things that some of us, perhaps all of us, look back to find and think, oh, I wish we could just go back to whatever it is. And there will always be niggles and grumbles about the things we're not so keen on in the present because, after all, we are just human, aren't we? The Exodus story has a lot to teach us. And perhaps one of them is that the journey towards the promise of God is challenging. And that even those who embark on that journey might not see the final destination. But despite that comes the call to journey onwards. Of course we can enjoy our reminiscences about the good days gone by. Of course we celebrate the good things we've shared. And of course we can continue to dream of a brighter tomorrow because if we don't dream of a brighter tomorrow, perhaps we have no hope. But neither of these must be allowed to overwhelm us. We have to live in this moment, to do our best in this moment, to delight and disappoint each other in this moment. And all of this within the love of God, who never leaves or forsakes us. Back in 2009, for my induction service, a hymn was chosen to be sung. And I did a little bit of research about the hymn. It's written, if I remember rightly, by Brian Wren, but I've forgotten that bit. It was actually written for the foundation of a church in Oxfordshire, where I happen to know the minister. I'm annoying like that, aren't I? I know ministers everywhere. And this was a church that was formed out of a difficult time. And as the church was launched, they sang, this is a day of new beginnings. And it was a really appropriate song for us to sing six years ago, at my induction service, because this was a day 
of new beginnings for us. But do you know what? Each day is a day of new beginnings. Each day we have the opportunity to give thanks for the past and move forward into the future with God. Now, I didn't know the set tune when I looked it up, and I couldn't remember what tune we sang it to all those, long, those years ago. But fortunately, there's a tune that Paul's found that does fit, and I think is reasonably well known. So I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand as we sing together. This is a day of new beginnings, time to remember and move on. <clears throat> Our prayers of intercession today are based on the five core values that underlie our covenant commitment as a local Baptist church and which formed the basis of the induction service six years ago. They are quite long, so bear with me. Let's pray together. Faithful God, we bring you our prayers for others reminding ourselves as we do so of the promises we have made to each other and to you as part of our covenant commitment. We are a worshipping community. This means worship must not just be what we do on a Sunday, but how we follow Jesus every day of the week. We know this, gracious God, and try our best not to create an artificial divide between an hour on Sunday and the rest of the week. At the same time, 
we do value a place and some space to step out of the relentless rhythm of routine and to be refreshed and renewed. When that doesn't happen, we can be disappointed in ourselves and in each other. Help us to make our gathered worship as meaningful as we are able, expressing gratitude and praise, letting go of all that hinders, and finding the refreshment we need to face the week ahead. We are an inclusive community. This means making everyone who comes to our church feel welcome, wanted and needed. We try hard, loving God, to welcome everyone who comes into our church, to recognise their inherent worth and to glimpse your image within them. At the same time, it's difficult because it means making room for people whose natural inclination may be to dislike and distrust others who we also try to welcome. Help us in our endeavour to be a reconciled diversity, celebrating difference, listening and learning with and from those with whom we may disagree. We are a missionary community. This means if we follow Jesus and do what he asks, others will see and hear about his love for them and will want to follow Jesus too. We're not so great at this one, if we're honest, sending God. We willingly give our money and our prayers to support others who will go to faraway places in the name of Jesus, sharing their faith in practical and pastoral endeavours. And we gladly recall the many folk from this church who in the past served overseas or who moved on to plant new congregations elsewhere in this city. Perhaps we lack the confidence they had to step out in faith. Perhaps our fear of rejection or ridicule leads us to play down the opportunities that we have. Empower us, we pray, be more willing to share the reason for our hospitality and the events that we host. We are a prophetic community. This means that God speaks to his people and God speaks through his people about the wrongs and hurts in the world. We know that we live in a complicated and confusing world where natural disaster and institutional sin blight the lives of so many. We're even quite good at signing petitions or attending vigils expressing solidarity or concern. But we know, holy God, there is more we can do. As we adopt an ethical policy, holding ourselves to account for the decisions we make and the products we choose. May your voice speak to us and through us of justice and peace. And we are a sacrificial community.
This means a church made up of people who want to be like Jesus and give their lives for others. This means thinking about the work we do for God and thinking about how the way we live day by day will make a difference to other people. We cannot think of sacrifice and not recall the supreme sacrifice of Christ for us and for all. Show us what it means to live sacrificially. Help us not to fall into the trap of offering you what is left when we have fulfilled all the other demands on our time. But instead, to delight in offering the first and best of all that we have to you. Whether that is our time, our talents, or our financial giving. Covenant in God. As we give you thanks for the six years we have shared so far and commit ourselves afresh for what lies ahead, grant us peace, hope, faith and love in all we attempt in Christ's name. Amen. We continue to respond to God who loves us as we take up our offering. Loving God, we offer you these our gifts of money, whether planned or spontaneous, and ask that they be employed in extending your kingdom and sharing the good news here in Glasgow and to the ends of the earth. We offer them and ourselves in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Our closing hymn is number 583 in the hymn book. We are called to be God's people, showing by our lives his grace. Please stand if you're able as we sing together. past we thank you for all that we have shared together God of the future we trust you for what is yet to come God of the present bless us with the love the courage the energy and the humility we need to serve you today and indeed every day